Delvina. Help, your brain love really needs to be felt. Serve me on, don't make me feel on myself. Brain food, brain sleep, neurology health. Brain love on me. I need you to assess, diagnose, and treat. Reveal what's underneath. Some brain love will give me peace. Prescribe me something, Doc. Again, the stories that we created in our heads about how we're supposed to be challenged them so we could come up with a new definition of who we really are. co-host i had to bring a man on board to talk about men's health i couldn't just do it myself what's up quick man what is going on ladies and gentlemen tonight is going to be something absolutely spectacular unique it's not just about the men it's about the women understanding the men who want to try to better understand the women and themselves how about that part ladies and gentlemen welcome to love on the brain brain love Pop it up for yourselves. Clap it up. And I'm saying to clap it up because you came out for an event that's about the most unpopular topic ever. Whenever I have to do a presentation and I'm speaking on mental health and I have competition, like there's someone talking about finances or investment or hip hop, people don't want to come to the mental health seminar. But... My goal is to change that so that we can all live healthier, we can be happier, we can wake up and be happy, completely, 100% happy to wake up. So I'm Dr. Delvina, a board-certified psychiatrist. I think I know most of you. I'm the host of the Brain Love Podcast, and I also have a private practice. Shout out to some of my staff in the back. Hey! Yes. And the Brain Love Tees. And Quick and I decided to combine the best of two worlds, poetry, feeling, sensation, energy, and education. Because while you're having fun, you need to learn also. We want you to have takeaways. We don't want this to be about talking about pills and medication and psychotherapy. We want this to be about what you can do in the beginning to prevent yourself from needing those things. Have you been to a seminar or a program on mental health? Raise your hand if you've participated. Can you turn down the lights a little bit? Because my PTSD is about to start acting up. Where's the Army? I can see everybody. Are they in right here? Now. Army recruiters, where everybody. are you? Stand up, please. Yes, hua. Any other Army veterans or military veterans from any branch, please stand wow. up. Shout out to the veterans. Please wow. stand up. We Thank got Army, Navy. We Thank got Air Force in here. Any Air Force? Marines? Yes. Oh, stand up. Man, that's stand what I'm up, talking Mr. about. Haynes. Marines in the building. Airborne. That's right. So we want you guys to have an exceptional experience in talking about mental health and learning some things. I also want to give a shout out to MIA Media Group here, Dexter Bridgman. Thank you, Dexter, for being one of our yes. sponsors tonight. Yes. So you see how this works? When you live in a community and you're in a village, everyone must participate. Correct. Right? 
We must pay our rent here on earth. That rent is helping one another. Because when you take, 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 and you don't give, nothing changes. I talk to so many people, and they want to know why nothing's changing in their life. And I, I see them because I see them on social media. And I see them out at, at events, so I know how they conduct themselves. I'm like, well, because you're not doing what God told you to do. It's the basics. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I'm, I'm done preaching. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm South Florida's very own Mr. Flo for me himself, Quick the Poet. It's a pleasure and an honor to coexist with you all. To see this room feel like this on a Monday night is incredible. What we were hoping um, when we got together a year ago and tried to put this event together, and it came with a series of meetings, we hoped that the room looked very different and that the room wasn't a room full of just men, truthfully stated. Because it's not just about us as a whole, though we have our challenges in life. That poem that I performed for you all, I hardly even performed that poem. Two and a half years ago, my mama passed away. And before she passed, on January 15, 2021, we had a chance to talk before it. My mama loved that poem. She loved all my poems, but she's like, that's the one for me. You know, it's my time. I I could affiliate with that. And our people need to hear that. And I was like, mama, they don't really want to hear that. They want to hear me talk about relationships and, you know, roller coaster moments and all that. She said, but I, I didn't put you on this planet to just do the norm. I put you on this planet to do something different. You and your brother. So with all these plans that you have set up, do something good with it. Ladies and gentlemen, mental health, especially in this community, just being a man in general, the challenge with being able to express ourselves consistently in a free basis, it's, it's not easy. It's not. You know, you never know who you're surrounded by. And then sometimes you know who you're surrounded by, but we're always expected to act in a certain manner. You know, and sometimes we roller coaster our moments. I'll give you all a quick 30 seconds that I know everybody. It like you never know. I ran into that young man right there. Right there. You work at 7-Eleven? I watched you th- go through a situation in that lobby. And I take off that's like a Superman moment. I watched you go through that situation. It was a young man and then a young lady. They were getting out of order with you. And the way you handled yourself with character in that space... I was absolutely impressed. I actually walked up to you, and I was like, y'all need to get me the hell up out of here. Like this, I don't know what's going on. I got my kids out here in the car. But this is ridiculous. Another young man had asked me for change. I said, man, just break the change for me. I was talking to you. You the one who gave it to me. I said, just break the change for me. You know what I appreciate about you in general, especially when it comes to men? Can't judge a book by its cover. You broke that change. I said, thank you. You say, you're welcome. I say, have a good day, bro. You say, have a good day. As men, we need to be able to do that more often. Because I was hot. Got my kids out there. I got this, these people acting up. And to watch you, you, you gather yourself, I could assure you now in advance, the better you're able to do that, the better chance you have at evolving in this world. Be able to handle yourself accordingly around people. I appreciate you. Didn't even know it. What if I would have popped off then? You know? Small world. I got to come hug you, bro. Man, I got to come hug you, man. I appreciate you. Man. I appreciate you.
That's what's up. That's what's up. So we're going to keep the experience rolling yeah. because this is an experience. You learn more when you're having fun, right? Yep. Yeah, you don't learn when people are just talking at you and, and telling you things. So we have a featured speaker tonight. Yes. We have a men's panel. And, um, and after the men's panel, we want the audience to ask questions, to engage with the panel, uh, because this is for you. So next up is our featured speaker, Mr. Gene Titus. Gene Titus. Jeez. Oh, there he is. Oh, you're coming from the back. Ladies and yes. gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Titus. So Take I, that dog walk to the light. That's what I'm talking about. So Jean. I picked out this song because you know I'm an old school music lover. So I love this. Who can name the the, the singer? Who's this? Yes. Oh, whatever, Larray. <laughs> yeah, Ralph Tresvent. And um, so Gene Titus is a health and wellness guru. Um, I saw him on social media because the man has, I don't know, maybe half a million followers or something like that. So I reached out to him and I, and I asked him, hey, can we do a podcast episode together? We've done two. Um, and what I enjoy about him is that he talks about prevention and he shares his information. I think that's an issue in the community is that people don't like to share they, want, they, they don't want to give information. They don't want to teach. And so prior to becoming this health and wellness guru, Mr. Titus was a financial investor, a financial advisor, pardon me, a real estate investor. And he came over to the other side. You were on that dark side for a little while. So his company is called Titus Unlimited. Um, you can follow him on Instagram. And he has a website. He's going to talk to you guys about some preve- prevention. Thank you. Well, um, can everybody hear me okay? Thank you guys for having me. I'm glad I wore the glasses for this light right here. Um, But um, uh, let me start off by saying this, all right? When it comes down to mental health or health in general, a lot of times people want to look at it as one singular thing. And um, health in general, wellness is what I deal with. It's, It's physical, it's mental, and it's spiritual. Right, and there is nothing more powerful than a healthy body, a strong mind, and a spirit that is aligned. That's called congruence. A healthy body, a strong mind, and a spirit that's aligned. Let's talk about the spirit part because that's where a lot of people get off track when it comes down to. Everything, because if you don't have a aligned spirit, and by a spirit being aligned, you have to have a purpose, all right? You have to have a reason why. You have to have a driving force for which you exist, all right? And when you look at yourself in the grand scheme of this world, the world puts a lot of demands on people, men, but women as well, okay? And if your spirit is not true to who you are, which means values, integrity and what it is that you actually believe about yourself and how you play into the world around you, right? You will always be at unrest because then you will be open to be other people's suggestions about who you are, your worth, what you should be doing, what you should not be doing, what you should look like, walk like, talk like, and all these other things, all right? So once you can align one's spirit, all right, it makes it easier for you to be strong mentally because your spirit is your baseline, 
All right? Your spirit is your baseline. So your purpose, what is that? Why are you here? I was talking to brother right here, and I said, God's greatest gift to us is our unlimited potential. Your greatest gift to God is the use of that potential, those gifts, those talents, not just for your betterment, but for the betterment of everyone around you. Because that is the rent, as Dr. Delvina said, that you have to pay for existing in this world. The world doesn't owe you. You owe the world. All right? So when you look at your life, and a lot of people use this word these days, high-value man. All right? And I was speaking to brother right here about what is value. A lot of times, my dad taught me this, uh, man's value is best calculated when he's dead. All right? Because a lot of times people think, you know, nice shoes, fancy suit, fancy watches, cars, all those things. People assign and, and mistake those things for value. But your value lies in your spirit. Your value lies in what you mean to people around you. The value means how does your presence uplift everyone else? Because when you have that you will have a spirit that's aligned once you can figure out your value. All right? Then we come to the mental part. Once your spirit is aligned, your mentality will match that. Why? Because you understand who you are. You will not be swayed left or right, broken left or right. You will not feel the need to conform to every new, every new thing around you. Okay? Because you now will have the capacity to have that strength. Why? Because you have the foundation of that spirit. Last but not least, the body. Your health. A person who has a strong foundation, purpose for which they are there, will not allow themselves to go a certain way when it comes down to their physicality. Why? Because you have a higher purpose. You're not going to be influenced by a lot of people, so you will always protect and keep your temple, your body in line. And that's what we're talking about here today. That alignment, that congruence. Healthy body, strong mind, and a spirit that's aligned. All right? And I know in the world right now it's very difficult for us to, to do those things because we've got a lot of things that come our way. A lot of things are pulling on you from left to right. And... Um, Life is difficult, but simple, all right? And a very simple formula I have for life is this, all right? For all the things that come around, everything that you see that comes across your, 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 your peripheral law everywhere, right? Very few things matter to you. And the moment you start to align your spirit, you'll realize what matters to you, what floats your boat, what makes a difference. You focus on the things that matter to you. That's number one. All right? Now, with all the things that matter to you, you have to break it down into another category. Right? And what is that? The things that you can change. All right? Now, that's a very humbling thing as we get a little older in life because we realize there ain't a whole lot you can change. <laughs> There's not a whole lot you actually control. 
you know, it can be frustrating at first, but it also is very peaceful. Because when you realize how much doesn't matter and how much of what matters you don't control, you can now focus all your efforts, your energy, and your life on the things that matter that you can control and the rest you release. And if you can practice those things within that formula, within that existence of a healthy body, a strong mind and a spirit that's aligned, right? Mentally, you will be okay. Physically, you will be okay. And spiritually, you will remain solid and aligned. Thank you. Can I get that Jill Scott in the background, please, on low? And the reason why I'm playing that song is because Jill Scott, do you guys remember this song from our album? It's going to come in a second. But when you listen to the words, like I'm a divorcee. And when I was divorcing my husband, I divorced my husband. When I was divorcing my husband, this song was everything because I wanted him to still be involved in my son's life. Too many times when people don't work out, the family is estranged, the family's torn apart. Just because you didn't work out doesn't mean that you can't co-parent and raise your kids together. So I appreciate my father, my, my son's father. He's a great father, but he wasn't a good fit for me, and I'm okay with that. So listen to these words. Um, first, I want to bring up the moderator of tonight's panel, the president of the Miami-Dade Chamber of Commerce, Gordon Eric Knowles. Go ahead, walk the, 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 the runway, sir. Can we get a pose? So he has served in several capacities, including for the Miami Dolphins. He's served on several nonprofit boards in South Florida. He's here tonight because we play golf together. He lets me get on the golf course and stink it up and, you know. Yes. And he's also a member or was a member of the Army Reserve. So I just thought he would be very fitting for this panel to help us direct and um, just have an engaging conversation. Next up is the Broward State Attorney, Harold F. Pryor. Give it up for him, you guys. He's running for election again, re-election. Thank you for coming, Esquire. I truly appreciate you. I know you're busy. He leads a staff of almost 500 employees, including 213 prosecutors. And if you can't tell... He is a man of color. We need more representation in our communities, not just in medicine, but in the legal field as well. And as I said, the bartender out there, Ashanti, is also an attorney. He's married and has two young children. And all this will matter. And by the way, Prez is divorced. I'm just saying, you know, we got to... Because, see, we're going to have three times, and that's okay to listen what I tell people who have done it more than one time is you like to fall in love and you know when you shouldn't stay. So that's what matters because why stay in a relationship where you're not happy, right? So now, speaking of relationships and kids and no kids, this dude right here wrote a book called Forget Having Kids, I'm Having Fun. What kind of fun do you think he's having if he can't have kids to have fun? Where's Dane Reed? He flew here all the way from Atlanta. He's a voice actor, a former educator, 
former educator, and then he decided uh, he doesn't want to educate our kids anymore. But that's okay. Thank you for your service. <laughs> now, you cannot have a panel and not have mental health experts on the panel. Herman is a licensed mental health counselor and a doctoral student in the Doctor of Marriage and Family Program at Nova Southeastern University. He's highly skilled as a licensed mental health clinician, and he treats children and teenagers. Herman McLean, where are you? There you are. And he's Caribbean also. He's Jamaican. Yeah, that. Oh, Dane, you're Jamaican? Oh, okay. All right. Now, as, he, as he's making his way up to the stage, I want to give a shout-out to our African dance group, Salsa African Dance Theater. Wasn't that just amazing? I know it left you feeling a certain way, because whenever I watch them perform, it's something about African drumming. It taps into your legacy, into your ancestors, and it just, it, it gives you goose, it gives me goosebumps anyway. Next up, the other mental health expert, Coach Philip Wells, he specializes in helping entrepreneurs, Brain Love, and he was a part of the Brain Love family before he opened his private practice. He works with professionals and builds their confidence so that they can have massive success and happiness. He is married. So he is not available, ladies. He is married. And, and Esquire is married as well. Harold F. Pryor is married. Jane Reed, the man that won't have kids, is single. Herman, are you single or are you married? Single. 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 Aren't you proud? I'm proud about it. Single? He's single. And where's wifey? Wave wifey. They had a baby. And last but not least, where is Mr. Titus, the health and wellness guru and health wellness coach? You guys heard him speak. So we're going to have, oh, where is Brinson? We're going to have the freaking conversation. You know, I can't say the word that you used. We had like a, a dating um, a dating show, and he said couples need to have the bleeping conversation, which is so true. All right. It's on you. Let's give it up for Dr. Delvina. Good evening, good evening, good evening. You guys, you ladies and gentlemen, you look great. And um, as Doc said, you know, it's past our bedtime, so we're going to get right into this um, introduction. Hold on one moment. I'll get the glasses. <laughs> Make sure I'm not missing any words here. So, as an introduction... And we want to talk about men. Men are conditioned to say things are great when the world is falling apart. Men tend not to engage in help-seeking behavior and downplay their physical and mental health symptoms. Men from minoritized racial groups and those raised in poor neighborhoods who do not attend college have often been left behind by structural changes in our economy. African-American men, and I will also say it's not just African-American men because I'm from the Bahamas. understand we have gentlemen from Jamaica. We have a brother whose mother is Liberian and also Haitian, father's Haitian. So 
We are a dichotomy. We are a diaspora of many different facets. So it says men are more likely to be unemployed than white men. That's African-American men. And non-college educated men are far more likely to be unemployed than college educated ones. But even if employed, less educated men and many men of color are working at jobs that are unstable, <clears throat> excuse me, and do not provide benefits. And when men in a community suffer, so do their parents, their girlfriends, their wives, and children. And so goes the community. Men associate seeking assistance for, for psychological or emotional problems, which find it shameful or they find it weak. So I'm going to throw this out to the panelists. It's basically for everyone, or whoever decides to respond, uh, it's open. Why should men talk about mental health and wellness? That's to you gentlemen. We don't want to talk about it? Uh, <laughs> I guess it's um, right here. I was the first one right here. I'll, I'll take a crack at it. And we'll turn it over to the professionals over there. I think that's your wheelhouse. Um, I can only speak from my, my experience. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a very uh, rural uh, community, but also a tough community. Um, I was one of the only kids um, on my block where I came from that actually had both my mother and my father in the household. And my dad was really, he, he's a rough, rigid man. He worked two jobs. He was a blue-collar guy. He was also a minister. And he was kind of the sign of strength. He was the 6'4", 260-pound guy. Never saw my father cry. My father never gave me a hug. And if he had a rough day, I wouldn't know, right? Um, if he had a hard day at work, I wouldn't know. Um, but when you get older, you realize, okay, when he spanked us or <laughs> he was a little rough on us or he got loud with us, he was taking those frustrations out on the kids. But I never saw my father deal with issues. I know he had friends that were killed. I knew he had, you know, traumatic experiences in his life, but I never saw him deal with it or have the conversation. I would never see him have productive conversations or communications with my mother. And so fast forward now. Uh, I'm the top cop or I'm the top or chief law enforcement officer in the county and all the gruesome things that you probably see on TV or the stories that you hear, I see all that. I see the behind the scenes of all that, right? I get to see the autopsy photos. I get to see the crime scenes and all of that. And I never really had that blueprint of how do I deal with adversity, you know, at work and when I'm coming at home and I'm, you know, crabby towards my wife, I'm crabby towards my children, right? And so it got to a point where, you know, I said something has to give here because it, it's going to affect my marriage, it's going to affect my relationship with my children, and I didn't want to be in that space. I didn't want to continue that cycle that my father saw from his father, and I'm sure that my grandfather saw from his father. And so it really came for me just out of necessity, wanting to continue have a productive relationship with my wife, to have a productive family dynamic. It was important for me to say that I needed help, right? And that was tough, right? Because I, I, had, I didn't have that example. Um, and I think that's why it's just tough because we don't have that example. Many of us, I, I can only speak for myself. I didn't have that example, and it was important for me to break that cycle um, because it was just out of necessity. Gentlemen, 
So um, this year I actually started doing therapy. I, I have a therapist appointment, telehealth appointment, 9.45 tomorrow morning with my therapist. I just started maybe March or so. And it was because I realized that as much as I can handle, there's a whole lot of things that I can't handle. My dad was very similar to your dad. Um, I never saw him cry. My dad said he hasn't cried since he was nine years old, right? And what I would see my dad do when things got tough, my dad's a very intelligent man. What I would see him do is he would stop, he would take a deep breath, and then he would breathe out. He'd just go, and then he'd think. My dad was always in problem-solving mode. And so I grew up thinking about how do I solve problems? How do I solve problems? Well, earlier this year when I decided that I wanted to see a therapist, it was because I didn't want to keep solving problems. I wanted to prevent the problems to begin with. Right? I wanted to not be triggered by things that people said, things that people did, uh, things around me, things that I absolutely cannot control. Uh, Titus was talking about things that you can't control, mm -hmm. right? And as men, we especially start realizing that at a certain age, like, you're not powerless, but you're not as powerful as you think you are. And... Being able to accept that you're not as powerful as you think you are is part of the process and the reason why we should seek mental health, in my opinion. Anyone else? I guess I'll chime in. So um, I think men should seek mental health, but I think it's important because we have a lack of resources. I think... Uh, a lot of the time, just to caveat what you said, we're raised to be problem solvers. But in problem solving, we, there's emotions. And that part we're not, deal, we're not taught to deal with. So I think with the lack of resources, I think with the, with the inclusion of ego, right, pride, um, and lack of resources, I think it's important for us to get the things that we have, the stories that we've created in our, in our heads that society's put on us, I think it's good to kind of flesh them out and make them make sense to, so, so that we can make sense of our, our existence, right? And, and if we don't have that lack of resource, it's, it's kind of hard for us to deal with relationships in a healthy way when we don't even know what's going on, on the inside of us. I think that's important. And we don't have um, the outlet to, to make sense of these things. That's why therapy is so important because that, that, that space provides a... Uh, a safety zone for you to feel safe but vulnerable at the same time. And as black men, we don't have that because we're, we're, we're so conditioned to be the protector, strong. Again, we have emotions, but we don't know how to deal with them or make sense of them. So I think therapy, every therapeutic resource that we have available, I think it's, it's, it's in our responsibility as men to kind of dive into it and, and, and understand who we are. Because as men, it's, it's a constant evolution. It's not you just 
you, you know, you're not just a man and that's it. Every day we're, we're growing and we're evolving and we're learning what it is to be a man, what manhood is all about. I, Titus, you said, you said uh, in your speech, alignment. If you don't know who you are, how can you be? If you don't even have a vision of who or the man that you want to become, what are you shooting for? I think it's important to keep those spaces available and relevant to, to, to what we're dealing with in, in just everyday society, right? So we can make sense of how we fit in this big puzzle called life. That's great. Yeah, and I'll try to, I'll try to make this quick because you guys made a lot of great points. You know, um, you know I, I grew up in South Carolina, and, you know, my father was in the military. He also was a, a deacon, and now he's a minister. So, you know, we grew up in a Pentecostal church, so, you know, twice on Sundays we would go to church, right? Yeah, <laughs> like someone would be jumping across the stage right now, and someone said hallelujah. You know, it was just that type of environment. And, um, you know, growing up, I never seen my father show any affection, even to my mother. And they've been married for, man, like 30-plus years, you know. And um, seeing that, you kind of just pick up on things without him even saying it. And I kind of got that from you guys. You know, it's just this, you know, I got to be a man. I got to take care of these bills because I'm one of five. And to this day, one of the, the toughest things I think my father did was get us through the recession in 08. Like, we lost, like, everything, man. So, like, what time do you have to be grieving when, you know, your house is on, like, notice and all that stuff, right? So you just pick up on these things and... You know, to answer your question why it's so important, you know, about a month ago, my father came and he met my son for the first time. And, you know, he was so excited. I never seen this look on his face. And to see him bend down and kiss my son on the forehead was the first time I seen him kiss anyone. And to see that, it showed me that, hey, I need to be loving and affectionate to my wife so my son can know what love and affection is. So that's why it's so important. That's why I appreciate this brother saying he's, he got therapy tomorrow. I appreciate uh, uh, the gentleman here, Ms., uh, Dr. Delvina, talking about their divorce because, man, people are so scared to be vulnerable. But to share something like that on the stage, it really shows that you don't give an F about nobody in this room but yourself. Hey. And that's what confidence is, my brother. So All day. Yeah. <laughs> Titus. Well, um, being a kid raised in Africa, and um, I hear it from everybody here, um, so it's a different perspective that I have on this. And, um, and I mentioned to, uh, to Dr. Delvina, uh, sometimes we're so close to the trees, we miss the forest, right? And what I hear from a lot of people here is that sometimes a lot of our young men are raised with the perspective and the mindset of children through the eyes of their mothers, and not seeing their fathers as people, but seeing their fathers as that man. Okay? I had the luxury of seeing my father as a man and knowing who he was and having conversations with him. And those conversations that a young man has with his father is therapy. You said not understanding life. I understood life at nine from the perspective of a man who had gone through life because I had those conversations. He had those conversations. I saw life through his perspective, okay? 
I understood. I remember one time, a quick story. <clears throat> my mother was a was more feisty of a person, right? And my mother always used to, and my dad was always real calm. And my mother would always, like, nag at me all the time, right? And I remember one time I was getting a little upset. My dad say, he said, grab that penny right there. <laughs> and he said, uh, he said, shake it. I put it in my hand. He said, shake it. Shake it as hard as you can. And I shook it. He said, what do you hear? He said, no. I said, nothing. He said, now grab the other penny. Put it in your hand. Shake it. I said, what do you hear? He said, he hears clanking. He said, it always takes two. Wow. All right? And then he says, you have to understand, some people need to talk. And you just have to let them talk. Now, that's just one example, not to say to disregard what my mother says or anything like that, but understanding how to deal, understanding how life is, understanding how, as men in life, sometimes you just have to learn what you don't control, what is necessary to try to control, and most things are outside of your power and not necessary. Okay? I remember my dad was a very powerful man. Right? But my mother ran the household. And one time I had my dad had a conversation with me about that. He says, you really think I want to do it 90% of what your mom wants to do? He said, I don't. He says, but I do. I could always say no. He said, but that's not strength. Strength is having power and not using it. He says, because I know that 90% of what she wants to do means way more to her than it does to me. And so, I just do it. Love and it. So I think that's what's missing. So, I'm the moderator, but I'm gonna I'm a man up here. I'm gonna be transparent, as you said. You know, my father killed himself when I was 13 years old. So you talk about having your fathers, and the last words that my father <clears throat> came to me woke me up in the middle of the night, told me he was going away, he wasn't coming back. But he asked me, he said, to promise me one thing, that you'll always be strong. And my strength has been being transparent. You know, this is who I am. You, you can't do anything to me that I won't allow to happen to me. You know, I'm good. Whether you, like I said, three divorces, I'm good. I'm happy. I got two beautiful daughters. But what the next question is, what is manhood? What does that mean? You brought it up. You see, you mentioned manhood. Oh, yeah, I did. You did? I sure did. I was like, who are you talking to? <laughs> who are you talking to, me? <laughs> I, and, and I think this is a, this is a really hot topic, right? Because uh, I, I mentioned ego before and... Uh, and obviously, communication is a big, big uh, void that we have in our in our manhood space. Um, but the reason why I mention that is because with the lack of communication, right? Um, what I'm encountering is a, is, is young men uh, without that direction, without that conversation with uh, how we would say an OG, right? Um, without that direction from an OG, these young young men are looking towards social media to, to get the definition of what a man, what a man is. And it's, it's, 
how do you say like it's twisted it's twisted because social media is not reality right so this skewed perception of what manhood is is now taking over but if we had the space to communicate to flesh out what it is if we had ogs because there's a lot of men out here that don't have men or or dads in their lives so as we're having this conversation up here, it's our responsibility to kind of create these spaces for young men to kind of get the idea of what a man is to them. You talked about high value, man. And I agree with you. But I also agree. I will say this. I'll go on a ledge and say your value is what you make it. Your value is what you make it. You hear all these people say kings, and well, I don't want to get on the rant, but everybody say kings and queens, and you a king, you a queen, but are you acting as such? <laughs> but that's what it's about. See, these are the conversations we have to have, but we, our egos, our lack of uh, our ability to be vulnerable in that space, to, to flesh out and say, I don't know what it is. Right. I don't know. And, and, and the, the fear of being judged, being uh, ostracized, being marginalized, I think that prevents us from having the conversation. But I think we, the more we have these conversations, the more that the people that, that need direction on, on a definition of what manhood is, I think that we'll start to come to a resolution. Absolutely. You know, and I see my good friend Mel over there and... Uh, He lost his father when he was very young. And, you know, it's not an easy conversation. I'm 67 years old, and you see how I'm feeling about that right now. It's not easy not having a man in your life to direct you, as Titus, as you said, you have to, a woman cannot raise a man to be a man. You can guide him. You can show him some things, but you cannot teach a man to be a man. My godson, the other day, I made him come over to my house and work out in the yard with me. He did not know what a rake was or a hoe was. And some of y'all in the back, young men, y'all probably don't know what I'm talking about either. Y'all probably think I'm talking about something else. I'm just being for real. Yeah, they, yeah, they. I, I was waiting for the punchline. <laughs> yeah. So being a man is not easy. It is not. We get out here and we have to fight each and every day with one another, because my nigga, you know, you up in my face, you know? So, let me get back to my questions. Uh, can, can, I, can, I, can I add Please. something to that? Because I, I started thinking about this um, based on a question that we first had. And I reflected on back maybe 2004, I was dating a, a young woman in Atlanta who had a nephew. Her nephew was toddler age, and his father wasn't around. And one day she comes to me, and she says, 
can you show him how to pee standing up? Right? And I was like, how am I supposed to do that? Right? Like, I, you know, I, I have no idea how do you do this, right? And it made me think about the fact that manhood is a set of traditions it is a set of um, habits, ways, um, skills that we hand down to one another from generation to generation that operate as a functional purpose in our society. Absolutely. Right? They, they have a purpose and they continue because they help society... Uh, work better, and, and I think that's a good definition, in my opinion. Of no, it's a great definition, and I mean, watching my sister raise a young man, watching my cousins, female cousins, raise a young man, and not giving them those things that you're talking about, and being easy on y'all. Women, y'all easy on the boys. You don't make them take out the garbage. Something simple. You don't make them wash the dishes. You don't make them uh, mop the floor. These are things that the basics in life that you have to begin with. But anyway, I'm not going to get on my high horse. Questions. Um, Attorney Pryor. Are men valued as fathers, and it's, it's what we're talking about. Is fatherhood valued? Is fatherhood worth it for men? Yeah, fatherhood is worth it. Um, I think particularly for the culture, uh, particularly being a black man uh, growing up in America. Um, you know, I, I come from five generations of men who've grown up here in Florida, um, um, where I've seen my father, my grandfather, and even great-grandfather and fatherhood is important. Um, men being in the fold, being involved in their children's lives, setting that example, what we talked about. Um, you know, look, my father, I didn't have those conversations like that with my father, but I had a hell of an example, right? You know, he didn't have the conversations and told me, you know, Harold, you know, this is how the world works and uh, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, I saw his example. I saw how hard he worked. I saw how he was always involved. The man had two jobs, but he came to every single one of my football games, right? Um, He was involved. I'd see him cook. I'd see him fold clothes. I'd see him set that example of, for me, that was what a man did, you know? Um, A man was home, involved in his children's lives, went to church, um, was really involved. Um, And so I saw that example. And it goes to the points that you said earlier. Um, Fatherhood is important. It's worth it. Um, it, it's a way that we build a legacy in our culture, in our communities. Um, and um, I think it's just important for us to understand that um, as a society, as a people, um, you might look at social media, there's that, that stigma out there that black men aren't involved in their children's lives. But, you know, recently I went to uh, Disney World and there weren't that many black people there, but the black people I saw there, there was a lot of black men there with their children. Or when I was at the park, I remember it was one of these recent holidays. It was one of the holidays where it seemed like every damn black man in Broward County got stuck with their kids 
for that off day from school. Actually, I saw something just the other day, a report that said they're that black men are more involved with their children than other races. Yeah, and, and so I think that's just the stigma that I, I think it's false. Uh, you know, I was at the park. It was one of those off days, and I'm at the park, and I saw nothing but black men with their kids, you know. And, and I was like, wow, if you watch CNN or if you watch Fox or you watch MSNBC, they'll tell you something else, right? Uh, but it's important. I think it's important for us building a legacy as a community. Titus, you look like you want to say something. Once again, um, <clears throat> growing up in um, in Africa, and, I, and once again, I say a lot of times you miss the forest because you're too close to the trees. As glowingly as I talked about my father, right? In Africa, fatherhood is different. Okay, I was a star basketball player. I was ranked top thir- top three basketball players in the country in high school. My father never went to one single basketball game of mine. Not one single one. The proudest moment my father had of my athletic career is when I was voted captain of the team. And he said to me, that means that your friends, your peers, see you as a person of leadership. Okay? That's it. So when I see people making, putting emphasis on dads going to games, that's not what matters. Okay? You say you had an example, right? Now, that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be an example to the young men out here from the youth group, right? Every single young man should have a quote-unquote OG in their life, okay? And we're not talking about the rappers and people like that. Those people aren't OGs. Half the songs they sing are imaginary. They didn't ever, they didn't ever even live those lives, okay? People that actually have gone out there and worked, people that have actually gone out there and taken care of people, people that actually are actually putting good into the community, those are the people who are the OGs. You know, not not people making make make believe songs, all right. You know, um, in Africa we have uncles, we have a community of men. In high school, when I was a new kid on the basketball team, I had a kid in the twelfth grade that was my basketball OG, right? And we we have a community that you have steps. I have a younger brother who basically I was like his father, okay? And I remember many a times he would push back on me, and I, I had to tell him, I'm not smarter than you. I just made that same mistake more times than you have. So I know, I know 21 ways to do it and 20 ways that don't work. <laughs> All right? And if the young guys would take the time and listen to the OGs, especially, you know, you know as men, you can learn a lot from people who you think are failures, because you may not learn what to do, but you learn a lot of what not to do. And what an old man will never do to you, an old man will never lie to a young man. There's no purpose. Absolutely. So, Dane. Yes, sir. Uh, you wrote a book. I did. Forget having kids, I'm having fun. <laughs> so why, why did you write that book? Because you, you was having fun. I'm having a whole lot of fun. <laughs> Listen, um... I think the decisions that we make in life shouldn't just follow uh, cookie-cutter ways. I don't think that we should do things because our mother did it, our father did it, our grandmother did it, our whoever, and you go back a thousand years to people who we don't even know their names for. I don't think that you should make any decision 
go to college, not go to college, vote a political party, not vote a political party. Um, There's so much, even, uh, even down to your religion. I think there's a point in life that you have to question those ideals. Uh, Titus was talking about, um, and he can, you know, elaborate a little bit more on this about how we form these ideas from seven years old, how we're all seven-year-olds basically making decisions as adults. Well, in your first seven years is a time that you learn faster than any other time in your life. And you take all of those things into account in who you become. And there was a point that I had to question all of that. Is this religion right for me? Is this, are these politics right for me? I looked at myself and as I express, you know, going to therapy looking at all of the things that I've been through and deciding what I wanted for my life, what was the most important thing for my life? It was freedom and it was happiness. See, each person has to decide what's important to them. And sometimes when you make that decision, you may not be allowed to make another decision which conflicts with it. The other thing too is parenthood is the most important decision that you will ever make. You would get married. We're joking about you being divorced three times, but you never divorced your kids no matter how much they got on your nerves. And you can't. Um, One of my best... Yeah, one of you. Well, yeah, there's a social stigma around it, right? But but you get what I'm saying. But I have a friend, one of my best friends in New York, and I love her to death. And she confessed to me one day that she wanted to take her own life as a result of the pressure of being a parent. There There are forums online where parents confess where anonymously what they're going through. But it's not something that's talked about. When you got married, there was marriage counseling. And they expressed how serious marriage is, how serious marriage is. No one ever counsels you on the seriousness of raising children. And it's more serious than getting married. So for me, when I assess my life and the choices, the things, my ambitions, my aspirations, I've traveled uh, all around the world. I just took my mother to Israel and Egypt and Paris last month. You know, traveling is something that I love doing. I've been to 44 countries now. I I love doing that. And so that's what I spend my time doing. And my child support money. (laughs) (laughs) So, Titus, I'm coming back to you. Um, And again, I'm, I'm going through my series of questions here, none in any particular order. Who are under more stress and pressure, men or women? And um, how do men manage stress stress versus women? Well, I'll start with the second question first. How do men manage stress um, differently than women? 
let's start off with saying how do well-heeled men manage stress? Because just because you are a male does not mean that you handle stress like a man. Okay? There have been men, there are men, unfortunately, who come at life, view life, and approach life from the prism of women. And so they don't handle stress as well. If we look at nature, I always tell people, when you are, when you're confused about life, look at nature. You know, I remember somebody made a, uh, a statement about a male lion. I said, look at him. All he does is sit on the hill right there. He doesn't even do nothing. The females do most of the hunting. They have to take care of the kids and da-da-da-da-da. And I chuckled with her. I said, yeah, you're right. All he does is sit on the hill. And every now and then he has to roar. Because when he roars, that roar goes out at least 10 miles to let any male know that he's there. And every day he sits on that hill, he knows that might be his last day. Because if an errant male comes through, he has to fight that male to the death. Because if he does not, after that male kills him, he's going to go down the hill and kill everyone in the sing of the cubs. And the mothers will let him do it. And then the mothers will mate with him and give him new cubs. So that's all he does. Okay? And as men, we deal with life through fact. Is it right? Is it wrong? Feelings don't come into stress. It's fact. Okay? So a lot of times when people say men don't share their feelings. Because we, we were... We understand as men for a long time that feelings don't float nothing. Facts do. I can't sell my feelings. My feelings don't matter. Okay? My mother, great woman, loved me to death. She didn't care how I felt. She cared what, what, what it was. Okay? And she taught me that. My mother was even more hard than my dad. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what is. And so that's how we handle stress. That's how we handle conflict. That's how we handle difficulty. That's how we're supposed to handle it. We're supposed to pro- approach it from a black and white standpoint. Okay? Yes, do your feelings matter? Of course, they do. But facts matter more. And I always say this, facts over feelings. So now when it comes down to who's under more stress, and I think that's where our society goes wrong because our society wants to downplay or dismiss the stress of a man or minimize the stress of a woman. We all have stress. We just have different stresses. It's not easy taking care of kids. It's not easy being motherly. It's not easy having the life of a woman. Okay? I wouldn't want to have that life. But I guarantee you, there's not a single woman out here that wants to have the stress of a man either. Stay in your lane and stop telling people whose life you don't have to live how to deal with stress. Encourage them, be supportive of them, be understanding of what they go through. And I think that's where the difference is. People are not an understanding of the opposite size or the opposite sexes, stresses, and what they have to go through. But never assume that anyone has more stress 
or less because it's not the case. You wanted to respond. Yeah, I definitely did. Go um, yeah, so I respect, totally respect what you said, brother, but I got to give you a little pushback. Feelings absolutely matter. That's why we here. Because, because our feelings have been marginalized and, and, and pushed to the side for so long. You see how we acting in the streets? You see how we're acting towards another brother? Do you see how we're treating our women? It, it's, it's because we have no outlet for our feelings. That's why we got jobs. Because we provide the space for men to come into our office and emote. Make sense of their thoughts and feelings. Because that's what's wrong with us right now. Is we think that fact is all that what it is. But it's not. I, I'm, I, I'm just telling you from, from my perspective, brother, it's not. I guess you, but you, and then I, I guess you missed the second half of what I said. I, I heard everything you said, bro. I said, but when feeling. you put, when you, when you start off, when you said fact is what matter and feelings don't, I disagree. But I did say feelings do matter, but fact is what leads men. It doesn't, because if it did, we would all be in a perfect world. We, we. We would, we would all look in the dictionary and read what manhood was, and, and we would all subscribe to it because that's fact. But what happens is everybody in this room got a set of eyes, and they look at manhood from a different perspective. So what manhood to you is what you define what manhood is based on your life experiences. What manhood is to me is what my life experiences. Now, we could probably come to the, the commonality that manhood has some common pillars, right, of integrity, right? What are some other ones? Right. See my point? Oh, you're asking me what are some other ones? Yeah. Virtue. Okay. Steadfastness. Okay. What about discipline? Well, that's steadfastness and discipline. Okay. All that is in there. Okay, yeah. But, but again, your life experiences have determined how you define your manhood. No, Along with the feelings. Let's get something straight. I'm not trying to define anyone's manhood. What I was just basically saying was this. As a man, we approach life from a black and white standpoint. We don't. Yes. If we all right. approach life differently. That's, okay. that's why everybody is their own person. Now, you could make the generalization that all men do, but you don't know all men. I'm not making a generalization. Okay. I said... And I started that by saying a well-heeled man. Because a well-heeled man is taught, right, from the beginning, right, that life for us has to be black or white. Because you're going to be put in situations where it's not about feeling. That is sometimes, once again, growing up in a different culture and understanding life through that prism. Right, and a culture that has been very successful in building strong men, right, which tells that culture, yes, your feelings matter, but guess what? Your feelings are secondary or maybe even third because what matters most is what is the fact here. Okay? So and so we can deal with the feelings after we get to the fact. My mother said that to me. Somebody says something to you that offends you, before you let yourself get offended, ask yourself first of all, is it true? What is the fact? What determines truth? Let me, let me, let me interject. And based on what, what Titus just said, a lot of our black men are locked up because of 
Feelings. Yo, you in my face. Get out of my face. And next thing, somebody's dead because of some feelings. But the fact is, and I go back to the fact is, I know who I am as a man. So I'm going to leave you there feeling however you feel, but I know who I am, which is the fact. So I don't have to get caught up in feelings. W.E.B. Du Bois wrote The Souls of Black Folk. He called code switching the duality or double consciousness of black people living in two worlds. I think that's what I kind of talked about just there a second ago. So how does code switching, switching affect a man's psyche? Is it a factor in stress? This is just throwing it out. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'll, I'll attack this one. Um, you know, I feel like nowadays where you have, you know, I know a lot of brothers in here probably heard of um, E.T., right, um, the hip-hop preacher, um, Jay-Z, some of these other guys. You know, this is this is just me, but I'm, I'm at a stage in my career where by being myself is enough and the right people will be attracted to me. And kind of like what you said, like, I'm not going to twist and turn and be someone that I'm not because that room would not be for me. One thing that I've learned just throughout marketing and entrepreneurship, one of the most powerful things you can do is tell your story because no one has your story. And by telling it, people will relate and see the true you. And that's the part that people are so afraid to see that it actually makes you the strongest person in the room. So, again, that's where the vulnerability is just so, so powerful. So... For me, I mean, you know, my, my, my clients, when they come see me in my sessions, I don't dress like this. You know, I have my Jordans, my sweats, my T-shirt, and we get it cracking, you know. And they need that version of me, you know. Um, me being here in this suit, I mean, I guess it called for the occasion, but, you know, I still have no problem with being fully me because this is, this is who I value. And, you know, there's so much value that I see when, I, when I'm that person that I wouldn't change it for the world. So... Um, it just comes from a place of security. Gentlemen? You know, um, so I grew up in a, a Jamaican home in New York in a Caribbean neighborhood, and then I went to um, high school on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So two very different worlds. Um, my parents believe greatly in education, as most Caribbean families do. And um, so I would go to school and I would speak one way, I'd come back to the neighborhood and I'm cussing, I'm using the N-word, I'm using, I'm doing everything, you know, because that's the way that we spoke in the neighborhood. And then when I'm around my family, we would speak Patois, right? And, you know, later on in life, I, I started learning Spanish. And sometimes I'm a little confused about who I am, but I'm all of these people rolled up into one. I'm all of these experiences. I'm all of these communities that I've had an opportunity to commune with, to break bread with, to hang out with, and learn from, and also contribute to. So I don't think that we're changing, or at least in my experience, I'm not changing who I am. I'm bringing a different part of me to the conversation. And I'm like you, going to be authentically myself all the time. 
Anyone else? Real quick. Hate to monopolize this conversation, y'all, but uh, I'm a switcher. I'm a cold switcher. Habitual cold switcher, right? And, and what happens is that's okay because that's a part of me and that's a part of life and evolving, right? It's a, it's a term in psychology called intersectionality, right? Which is we are composed of multiple parts. And if I deny any one of those parts, I deny myself, right? So if, if I got a code switch to go make a living for my family, I'm going to go ahead and do it, right? It's about honor, respect, and, being, and fulfilling that role of manhood, right? But if you code switch, right? And I think the part of in, in our circle, right, as far as men, if you code switch and people see you in the midst of your transition of switching, then, then you lose, like, validity, right? You're not genuine. You're not authentic, right? And I think that part, that the fear of not being real, I think that, that's what kind of has a stigma or, or about code switching. But we do it all the time. We, we're, we're not the same person that we show up at church, that we go to school. Everywhere we go, we, we, we put a representative on. Anybody we meet, you're meeting the representative. You're not reading the real person until we feel comfortable with you knowing our ins and outs. Titus is shaking his head, so you know. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You going back and forth. I wanted to add. But can I? We going back I wanted to add to that yeah, because, quite honestly, um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, you would have been accurate in saying that about me, but at there's a certain point that you just reach that you just don't care, right? Like, you're just going to be yourself. Gentlemen, you all are, are experts in your various uh, uh, platforms. How, to Dr. Delvina's point, how do we as a community begin to deal with stress? I mean, we all, you know, we have this spirituality about ourselves, um, you know, religion plays a role to, to some degree in our lives. How do we begin to fix ourselves and our community? Throwing it out to everyone. I think the, the, the common word that I've heard throughout the day, uh, alignment, uh, finding some form of synergy and finding out what's obviously important to your core and who you are. For me, Harold Pryor, it's the love and affection of my family, my children, my wife, right? Getting that time with them, whatever that may be. It's me seeking meditation, God, through prayer. Um, and also doing the things that I like to, like, you know, I love sports. I love playing ball. I love doing things outdoors. So I think for me personally is the spiritual aspect, getting close to God, but also building that relationship with my family and building that space just for myself, right? Um, I think that's important. So really just finding out what's important to you, um, what drives you, uh, what's your desires, what can make you a better person or a better you or your best self. Okay, so, let's just go down the line and close it out. I would say um, building a strong community around you, and that community could be friends, it could be family, it can be um, anyone around you. It could be business. It could be people who have uh, commonalities with you. Um, you know, I, I realize that not everyone could be everything to me. So 
there are people who have an interest in, like I have an interest in traveling. I have a strong travel community of people. Those might not be the people that I can talk to about sports. Right? So find the people that you can talk to about sports. Find the people that you can talk to about your mental health. Find the people who you can talk to about, you know, raising your kids. Or find the people who you can talk to about, you know, not having kids like I have, right? There's a whole community of young people who, who talk about, you know, not wanting to be, be parents, for instance, right? So you find those people that you have a community with. Avoid being insular, because, of course, you don't want a feedback loop of bad ideas, right? But it's, it's very important that you, for long-term health, for long-term living, they found that people who, who have friends, people who love them, people who they can talk to, break bread with, those people um, generally have better health results and longer-lasting lives. So find a community. Yeah. I, I just I, just to reiterate what you guys said, um, I think the most important thing that we need to do uh, systemically is just create the space for men to be vulnerable and safe by doing it. I think the more we do it, the more that we'll make sense of the things that, again, the stories that we created in our heads about how we're supposed to be, challenge them so we could come up with a new definition of who we really are. I'm going to drop the mic on that one. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll make this quick. Uh, so one of the one of the best ways to deal with stress actually doesn't come from trying to get rid of it, avoid it, or anything like that. But it's to approach it with acceptance. You know, um, anybody can Google this if you want, just a little psychology stuff. But um, Dawson's law is a law that shows that as stress increases, so does your performance. It's just that when your stress hits this this peak, right, where it's, like, overwhelming, that's when your performance starts to, to deter, if you will. So what I see from a lot of my, like, entrepreneurs, working professionals, is they try to avoid stress, or even people that are trying to start that business, you know, they don't want to raise their prices, they don't want to, you know, put their services out there because it's stressful, but that same stress that you're avoiding is actually going to be the fulfillment that you're looking for. So I tell my clients, normalize it, normalize it. Everybody in here has stress. If you're doing something worth doing is going to be stressful. So that part you actually need to accept and allow it to be there. So acknowledge it, allow it, accept it, and ask yourself, what is this trying to tell me? What does this show me that I care about? Titus, before you, before you go, but that just reminds me of, you know, when, when we were in school or in college, you know, you procrastinate and, and you don't do, you know, the studying you need to do, and then, you know, you put that, that stress begins, and then you get right on it. So that's what when you said that, that that's where that took me. Go ahead, Titus. Uh, as far as stress goes, I always say um, we create our own stress. Nothing in this world is inherently stressful. It's how you approach it. It's your perspective. All right? And so learn how to, learn how to change your perspective. Go through the very same formula I said about in the beginning. You know, start off was with does this matter? Okay? If it matters to you, and the next thing you ask yourself, can I change it? If you can change it, you do what you can to change it. And everything past that, you release. Because there's a lot of things in this world that don't matter to you and that you can't change. And stressing over something that doesn't matter and or you cannot change is a waste of your time and energy. 
because it's not going to do anything for you. All right. And then you can use your energies towards the things that do matter, that you can change, that will change things for you. And that's how I deal with stress. Wow. This has been, let's give these gentlemen a round of applause. We, we definitely need to continue this conversation. Um, Dr. Delvina, oh, there she is. Dr. Delvina, we want to thank you. This is, has been great. We definitely want to continue this conversation. Um, we're going we're gonna to do this some more. There will be a part two. Here you go, doctor. Guys, this passed all our bedtimes, but uh, what's his name? Mr. Rogers Neighborhood or whatever it was. Right. We sing that song at the end. And yeah, we, I'm so glad you came out. Yep. You guys stuck it out and you stayed to the end. This is important, and we're not all going to agree on everything. Right. And that's why we have these discussions, so we can share information and just love on each other this way. Because when someone expresses themselves to you, they care about you. Because if they didn't care about each other as men, they would just let the person talk and say whatever they wanted to say and not engage it. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. There will be another one more than likely in August. I don't have the date for you yet, but I have your email addresses Absolutely. <laughs> from Eventbrite. Thanks to the panel. Thanks, Prez. Thank you. Y'all were incredible, man. Broward State Attorney. Thanks, Dane Reed, from, for coming from Atlanta. Thanks, Thank Herman. Thank y'all so much. It's going to be Dr. McLean. Yeah. Thank you, Coach Wells. Thank you, Mr. Tyler. Oh, y'all my friends. And I, y'all don't even realize it. We friends. Uh, man, I'm getting all you y'all. You have a show, right, in July? Yes, yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, July 8th, we'll have uh, the return of Flo Pocalypse at the Royal Famous Broward Center for the Performing Arts. Um... One of the biggest uh, spoken word platforms in the southeast region of the U.S. I appreciate them for the opportunity. And uh, where it comes full circle is being able to balance what I said in my poem from earlier. Um, Really leveling my mental health and having a chance to take in what every one of these gentlemen have said. What I love is like what is spread. I I have unique form of, of, of lions behind me. But the dope part is, you see, ain't no killing taking place up here. All that's taking place up here is you got lines up here really getting it in on energy of how they level on their heels. And they're going to go back to their lives. So I thank y'all so much. We appreciate y'all so much. August is up next round. So and someone record me giving the shout out to BLVD. They're not here now. I guess they bounce. But they're an R&B group out of Fort Lauderdale. I know it's on YouTube. Hey, YouTube. So glad you could join us tonight. But um, shout out to BLVD for stopping by. It's yes. an R&B group. They're bringing about back old school R&B. So I Love think we that. made our 10 o'clock cutoff. Absolutely. We don't have time for the, the question and answer session, but come back for the next one. Bring a friend, tell a friend. And um, remember, <laughs> brain love. For more brain love on the couch. With board certified psychiatrist, Dr. Delvina. Make sure you follow on Instagram at Dr. Delvina and at DRT Brain Love. Also, make sure you tune into the Brain Love podcast, airing each and every Sunday at 8 p.m. with a new episode on all podcasts.